If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. I actually now have four sewing machines. I have a featherweight. So I have the Sasha coat. I have a, a 1952 featherweight. And then I do all of my piecing on a Juki. Then I have one Janome that's easily transportable. And I've said I'm not going to buy any more. And I haven't yet. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters' stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. Today's guest will be Belle Bruner. I'm your host, Susan Smith. I'm coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend our days doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. If you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound pencil with needle and thread attached to it at really high speeds. And if you are a machine quilter, I invite you to take advantage of a free class that I'm offering. It is all about the all-over, kind of meandering quilted feather. Now, quilted feathers are always eye-catching, whether they're the hand-quilted ones of generations past or the more elaborate and intricate machine-quilted ones that we see a lot of today. But in this particular class, I'm talking about a casual... um, whimsical feather that meanders all over a quilt top. And this can be intimidating to machine quilters. Feathers can be difficult to form and to make them graceful. So in the class, I show you how to achieve those flowing feathers. So I talk about and demo the basic feather shape. I talk about even coverage on the quilt, how to avoid awkward corners, even how to customize little details to make them your own. So it's all here in this free class, and I'll walk you through it and demo the quilting for you step by baby step. So simply head to my website, stitchedbysusan.com, and a sign-up form will pop up. It is entirely free. You just need to register to gain access to the class. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will half of The Will and Dave Show. A short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to Pins and Needles, with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. In the last podcast episode, I talked about tomato pin cushions and a use for the dangling strawberry that not many sewists seem to know. But today I have yet another use for that ubiquitous tomato pincushion. You know how they have a green strand that divides them into sections, much like an orange breaks apart into sections? They can be a great way to store needles for your sewing machine, or for your long arm for that matter. 
And what I do is I actually take a black Sharpie and I write in each of those sections a particular needle size that I'm wanting to store. Then if I'm changing out needles, for example, a ballpoint or um, an extra fine needle, I can put it in the section that has that marking and then always know exactly what that needle is. You all know how I love my coffee. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan, where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. Thanks so much for your support. And perhaps take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Belle Bruner is joining me in the studio. She is relatively new to the world of quilting, but she is taking it by storm. Not only has she sewn a lot of quilts, but she is now designing patterns, representing a fabric manufacturing line, and all kinds of things on her horizon. So you won't want to miss a moment of this. Belle, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so looking forward to our visit. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Susan. This is going to be a treat. You are new-ish to the world of quilting. I would love to hear what your journey has been and maybe start with kind of what opened the doors to quilting for you. Sure. Well, at the beginning of the pandemic, I needed something to do besides working remotely um, here at home, which is what I do with my other job. And I had taught my little 10 year old how to stitch and she was sewing little pillows and stuffing grass in them. And so then we decided to get her a sewing machine and it was time to upgrade for her. And so we did, we got one of those 1967 Janome sewing machines and she really wasn't quite ready to learn how to use it yet. So it was sitting here in my, my space in my office. And that's when I was like, you know, we've got this machine. She's not quite ready to learn how to properly use it. I need to learn how to make something besides what I learned in home economics, which was a t-shirt dress where you bought two Hanes t-shirts. You cut one in half and sewed the bottom to the top. It was fuchsia and black from the eighties. And that's all I knew how to make. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I hope you have a picture of that somewhere. (laughs) I don't. I wish I did or I would share it with you. So I got on YouTube and I actually the first video that I saw was Melanie K. Ham, which sadly was I was so sad to hear she passed away. A lot of people in the quilting world know her. Um, But that was the first video in which I learned like how a quilt was constructed, that it was three layers. And so she and I watched that video together to just understand the construction of a quilt. Um, and then, of course, she she had to stop filming because she got really sick. And then um, I found Melanie of Southern Charm Quilts, and she has just been a fabulous quilty friend and mentor. And that's really where I started to learn precision and how to make blocks, different types of blocks, and about starching and not starching and all the things. And I just became addicted. I absolutely became addicted. And it was such it's been such a great outlet during this pandemic. And then even for my 10-year-old, who's now made four quilts, she's my bonus daughter. Wow. I'm thinking, you know, you should almost do a series on wellness and quilting, because I don't think that is a small thing, the, the 
complement that creation is to our mental health. And the pandemic has been such a great example of that. And so many people have taken up crafting or creating in some way. And just that process is just so good for us. It really is. And during that time, I was actually, I have an autoimmune disease and was going through treatment for that. And I have to say that with being able to quilt some on days that I felt well and learn how to do that, it was so good for my mental health between the pandemic and that. And I know there's a lot of quilty friends out there that have autoimmune disease or or chronic illness they deal with. And they, they do. They mention how much joy they find and how therapeutic it is. So I agree with you. Completely. And I'm one of them. And um, yeah, like I said, you just can't overstate how valuable that is. And honestly, I think it translates into some level of physical health as well and healing. Okay, so let's talk about a few of the different things that you've done, because you obviously um, jump into a thing with both feet. Already, you are not only making quilts, but you are designing and writing your own patterns. Yes. Yes. Last year, I took a pattern writing course with Elizabeth of Quilters Candy because I wanted to learn how to write my own patterns. So I've written one, um, which is a free pattern that can be downloaded on my website. And then I've just written a second one, which is the Dueling Diamonds quilt pattern. And it's with testers right now. And I'm really excited about it. It's it's very uh, fabric friendly for those that like yardage, fat quarters, they want to use up scraps and not be buying fabric or they want to use a jelly roll. So I've tried to make it versatile for a lot of a lot of people out there that enjoy quilting. So um, that's been a lot of fun to learn how to write. And there's been a lot of teaching moments with learning how to write patterns. And I have a huge appreciation for those that have been doing this for years of what goes into it. I agree completely. I have dabbled in pattern writing myself and and I'm not sorry because I too really grew an appreciation for the technical and editorial and design aspects just of of preparing the pattern, but I soon found that was not, you know, for me. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. But, you know, honestly, I think every person should give one attempt at it. It is just not a matter of doing a little quilty math and a few little diagrams and hey presto, it's a pattern. It's a big deal. It really is. And I had no idea. I mean, the course was 12 weeks. And then, you know, I have a tech editor that edits and I don't love math at all. So I'm very grateful for these different ones within the field that specialize in certain things to help, you know, be able to get a pattern released out into the world. Yes, exactly. And often those, you know, skills of creativity slash tech editing don't necessarily align in the same person. So it is great that we have people we can call on. It sure is. Um, another thing that I see quite a bit of in your feed is that you recently acquired a Sashiko machine, or some say it Sashiko. How do you say it? Sashiko. There you go. Of course, that may be Southern because, you know, I'm Southern. But um, Sashiko is, I think, how it's pronounced. But we all know, I think, if it's either said either way, what it is. Yeah, you, um, I did. you say I tomato, I say tomato. Year. So, yeah, it's one of the one of those words. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I acquired the machine last year. I had learned about it um, during a quilt along, actually, with Quilters Candy, and it was the prize at the end of it. Now, I didn't win the machine, but I became enamored with it. I actually sold some of my jewelry so I could pay cash for one because I didn't want to go into debt over it. Now, that and is I priority setting right there. 
Yes, yes, it is. And I try to use it whenever I can. It just adds a little bit of extra of, of giving that hand stitched look of a Sasha Co stitch in a fraction of the time. Yes. And I was going to go back to that and say for our listeners, maybe give a little description if you could of kind of what it looks like and why, why you would want that in addition to a regular sewing machine. Yeah, so I'm a really busy person and I don't have tons of patience for hand quilting or hand stitching. And so this machine does one stitch. It does not back stitch. And the stitch that it replicates is the hand stitch like a Sasha Co stitch, like you would see that some people do the big stitch on their binding or on their quilts. And so it saves time for one. Um, and it just it looks literally like you have hand stitched or hand quilted. So it works differently than a regular sewing machine too, which has a thread on the top in the needle and a thread in the bobbin, and they kind of twist around each other to form a stitch. Are you able to describe how your machine does form a stitch? Like how does it make one that looks like hand stitching on the front side of your project? Yeah, so you do not thread it through the top. There's not a, a thread at the top that you wind down through and thread through your needle. Everything is done from the bottom. It's all done from the bottom. There's a hook and a needle, and that's pulled up through the bobbin case, through the bobbin area. Because so many have, people have questions about it, is I've started to, to upload a few YouTube tutorials on the machine and me using it, because it can be a little confusing when you don't actually see it in action. Makes sense. And yes, aren't aren't little tiny video clips just the most nifty thing for just getting getting a view of how a thing works? No amount of words can kind of show it as well as a little video can. Yeah, I'm a visual learner, so I appreciate whenever there's videos, so I try to share some when I can. Well, doesn't the old saying go, a picture is worth a thousand words? What do you think a video is worth? Just a thought. Another thing that I saw, maybe in a blog post, I'm not even sure where, is you were telling a story that I'd love to hear about a squad car quilt. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, my local quilt guilds, um, we have classes and such, but one of the things that they do is they have different philanthropies and we make quilts for different organizations within our community. And one is local police department. And I was a formal, former social worker back in my twenties before I got in, into leadership and, and all. And I have a huge heart for children. And so with the squad car quilts, you make these quilts and law enforcement keeps them in their car. So when a child is taken into foster care or another situation like that, many times they leave with nothing but a bag, maybe maybe some clothes. And so this quilt can be quite comforting. And so um, I made one recently. I'm a new member of the guild and just absolutely love that quilt guilds do things like this because it provides so much comfort to those children. So does the child get to take that quilt with them then? Or like you said, it stays in the car, but the same quilt stays in the car or they keep quilts to give to kids in the car? That's a great question. So they are given the quilt to keep. So the law enforcement will keep several in the trunk and then they'll have them in an emergency situation, give them to the child and it's theirs to keep as a comfort. Yes, that, that is wonderful. Um, my husband has for several years done that driving process of sometimes picking up children from you know, problem homes and then delivering them to a foster home. And, and that is often very sudden and very sharp and very drastic. And yes, the kids often just have a few little things 
in a bag and literally have almost nothing to call their own. So I can just imagine the the warmth that that brings to them, just that feeling of this is mine, I get to keep it. So thank you for that. Exactly. All right. What else should we talk about? Let's talk about the quilting community. Since you're newer to it, what have you found that to be like? And maybe what do you like best about it? Whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or just, uh, we haven't had so much live stuff since you've gotten into it, but what's the quilting community like for you? Extremely supportive. It's interesting because, you know, sometimes in, in corporate America or in other, some other arenas, it can be quite competitive and people don't want to share and help one another. But I have loved very much how the quilting community is so supportive. For example, pattern designers have been helpful with, for me with getting started. Uh, people are just so gracious uh, with sharing tips and techniques and things that have worked for them. Even within our group, that just graduated from this pattern writing course, we share each other's releases, you know, and and help promote one another. And it's just a wonderful community of how helpful people are and how much they share. And with that lack of competition, it just makes it a lovely place to be. I agree completely. And and I've been around a little bit longer. Um, But even so, I I was well into my 40s before I I grew up in a remote area. So I was well into my 40s before I had gone to any quilt shows or attended any classes or got to know anyone else really in the quilting world. And that was, is still so remarkable to me, this um, very genuine sharing of knowledge. And I think it really matters in an industry like this, which is a handcraft and which is has tradition behind it. It really matters that we keep teaching this to upcoming younger crafters. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, so much so, you know, our 10-year-old I mentioned, she's made pillows and quilts. And, you know, if we don't teach others, no matter what age they are, whether they're young or like me, just started quilting at age 45 two years ago, it'll be a lost art. And so I agree with you. I think it's important to help new ones, no matter their age, on how to start to do this um, wonderful craft that will continue on for years and years and years. That's really true. Um, I feel like the pandemic, you know, though there's many dark sides to it, there are also some silver linings. And one of them is that so many people had time on their hands and resorted, for lack of a better word, to, to some type of craft for just to use up their time. But all of a sudden, there's this resurgence in interest in, you know, what I kind of call slow stitching. So it can be actually stitching on a quilt, it might be crocheting, it might be knitting, it might be cross stitch. But there's a real um, rise in the interest in those crafts since the pandemic began. And I think that is a good thing. It is a good thing. And also, you know, sometimes when you if you watch the news, which we try not to watch a lot of it, there is a lot of sad, depressing things out there. But when you meet different ones within the quilting community, we see there's so many good people still. Right. Good hearts, sharers, wonderful crafts. So we're able to see the positives still that are happening in the world rather than just all the negativity. Yes, and you're absolutely right. The quilting community has a wealth of big, generous, sharing hearts. Um, I wanted to go back for just a second. You were talking about, I think you said a 1967 Kenmore sewing machine that you got for your daughter. Are sewing machines kind of a thing for you? Or are they your buddies? Do you still have that 1967? 
it's a 67 Janome. Actually, we don't. We sold it. Um, and uh, I actually now have four sewing machines. I, I have see, a featherweight. bit. <laughs> it did. It did. So I have the Sasha Co. that we talked about. Um, I have a, a 1952 featherweight that my husband bought me. And I travel when I go visit my dad or other places with that one because it's so lightweight. And then I do all of my piecing on a Juki. It's a semi-industrial Juki. And then I have one um, Janome that's easily transportable for guild workshops and things like that. And I've said I'm not going to buy any more. And I haven't <laughs> yet. Let me know how that goes for you. Okay. <laughs> and I'm kind of poking fun. I, I'm trying to think. I believe I just have three sewing machines. But yeah, my sister's a bit of a collector. She calls them her fleet. You can put it any number you want in there. <laughs> it's pretty well, funny. I don't have room. I don't have room for any more. Um, and I don't want to go into debt. So we really, I try not to buy things I can't pay cash for. So I'm really trying to have self-discipline with it for sure. Gotcha. But you know, money is not always the thing. Cause in the case of my sister's fleet, she's forever seeing them, you know, at garage sales or estate sales where people don't necessarily know what they're selling. And so, you know, it's 10 or 20 bucks. We're not talking big dollars, but it's pretty fun. There's a wealth of history in those machines too. They are. And I can say if I saw a $20 or $100 featherweight, I would get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know that they're featherweights because so many people do know the value of those now. It's much, much less frequently that you find a bargain there. But there are still other classic machines out there that, yeah, you run across from time it to time. It can be a, a fun hobby to collect things for sure. It sure can. All right. So what's on the horizon for you over the next couple of months? You've been really expanding your wings into the quilting world. What what things are coming up for you? Well, there's there's been a lot of unexpected, exciting things, some planful, some not so much. Uh, one of the things, of course, I mentioned is the pattern design, uh, the release that's going to happen in February. But also um, I have expanded, as I mentioned, my other job is in training and consulting, particularly in businesses, nonprofit and for-profit, different modalities, communication, strategic planning, board of directors, interpersonal communication. And I've done that for a number of years. And so I've expanded that now to be able to offer those types of trainings for quilt guilds, as well as businesses in within the quilt industry. Whenever there's people, there's employees, there's membership, there's always room for areas to, um, to grow and develop as far as communicating and planning strategically. So I'm offering that now uh, to be able to kind of merge two of my passions together. And then also um, my dad and I are starting a business. We're building two Airbnbs back home in Arkansas in the Washtenaw National Forest. And I'm hopeful to be able to offer those up as retreat locations for those that are interested in finding a place to have quilting retreats. Oh, I love that. Sadly, I am a very long way from Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, it is here in the States. It's it's on 45 acres on the Washita River in the National Forest. So that's fun. One will open up next month and then the other one later this summer. So that's on the horizon. And then recently, I uh, was really excited about I'm a Havel's uh, sewing ambassador. So um, been able to test out some of their tools and be able to offer some discounts to others too for that. And then I just found out recently that I was invited to be part of the Maywood Studio Maker Dozen for the Maker Ambassador Program. So I am so excited and feel so blessed 
uh, to get to make some things for them this year with their fabric line. So what does the Maker's Dozen do? Is that just a dozen different crafters that represent their fabrics? Is it a variety of types of crafting with them? Yes, so there's an application process and they, they pick 12 for different reasons, different backgrounds. They're really great at picking diversity uh, as far as makers and what we do and who we are. And then they send you the fabrics and you have three makes a year. You can use your own pattern. You can use other people's pattern, but it's to highlight and showcase their fabrics um, and how they can be used. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. That's a great chance to explore your pattern making. And, you know, also don't discount the, the benefit of free fabric to make pretty stuff with. I know. It's exciting. It's definitely exciting. I feel grateful. Most definitely so grateful of all the things that have been happening. How fun. Well, we will certainly link to all those things in the show notes. So people that are wanting to check out your pattern, that was Dueling Diamonds, right? Yes, it is Dueling Diamonds in one size. And there's four different fabric requirements that you can choose from. Lovely. So we'll have a link for that and for all these different other projects that you have on the horizon and especially the Airbnb. Um, You said one is opening soon. Do you have any dates on those? Well, one will be next month. I don't know exactly sure I'll be going down to Arkansas uh, with dad to kind of help furnish and stage all that. So I don't have dates, but stay tuned. I'll blog about it, post about it, share about it to those that subscribe to my, um, my newsletter. Okay. Well, we'll for sure have the link to that, to your, to your blog so they can read about it there. Well, this has been a real treat. Before we go, do you have a little nugget that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Some little tidbit of wisdom from life, from crafting, from whatever you like. I do. There's a phrase that I like to tell myself, you know, there's a lot of information out there on what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And that phrase is take what works and leave the rest. Meaning, you know, we can be told you should do things this way or you should do things that way or um, this isn't right or this is. And I've learned that, you know, listen to all of it. You might want to try a few things, but don't feel pressured to have to do something a certain way. Take what works for you, whatever makes your heart sing, and then leave the rest. Maybe someone else will want to do some of the rest. Excellent. Love it. Well, thank you so very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for having me. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. It means the world to me to have loyal listeners who keep coming back for more. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a moment to leave a rating and a review? I've even tucked a link in the show notes to make that a little easier for you. It really does help other listeners to find the show so they can enjoy these stories, too. I'd love to hear from listeners who'd like to nominate a crafter that you know that has a story to tell. If you know such a person or are one, email me at info at stitchedbysusan.com. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted. <laughs>